We're continuing a series this morning. Uh, we started two, uh, three weeks ago, a series called Power Filled, a series on the person of the Holy Spirit, Power Filled. The first week, uh, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. We came to, to a point where we were just discussing the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an it, he is a he. He is a person, and, and as such, what do you do with a person? You have a relationship with them. The Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you. The Holy Spirit is not the force. He's not out there somewhere. He's very intimate and personal. Um, and then in that first Sunday, and I'm going to keep reiterating this, my goal and my challenge to you throughout this series is to look at the Holy Spirit through fresh eyes. Because sometimes we... We hear things and we go, I know what that is. Anyone ever do that? You hear something talked about, a, a, an activity or, 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 or some, you know, some form of study, and you go, oh, I know about that, right? And then you find out you really don't know about that. There's a lot more. The Holy Spirit is one of those places of study that, that I think we get things in our mind and things that we've picked up along the way and learned as we've grown up, maybe in church or maybe outside of the church and perceptions, that during this series that we would set those aside and say, Lord, give me fresh eyes to see the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself afresh and anew. And then last week we talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit that throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is promised. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. The Father talked about the Holy Spirit. The prophets talked about the Holy Spirit. That there is a promise to us uh, from the Father, through Jesus Christ, a very personal promise of the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in our lives. Um, and as we jump in this morning, again, the caution that I threw out this week, you'll keep hearing this as well. Our goal in this series is not to define God. Our goal is not to define the Holy Spirit. Our goal is to come to a place where we have a deeper understanding because anyone who ever gets to a place who says i figured god out is a liar and they're delusional because god cannot be understood fully by our brains by our minds we are the created being and he is the creator we we can't we can't fathom we can't fathom i feel a rabbit trail going on i'm not going to avoid it we'll come back to that the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Today we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Tying right into the title of this series, Power Filled. And I want to start off this morning by reading this passage out of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We read it uh, the last couple of weeks. And as with some of the things I've already mentioned this morning, we'll keep talking about them because they're important. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you, if you have your Bibles turned there this morning, we'll be in, in the book of Acts um, and, and then some other passages today. Uh, the passages will also be on the screen or on the Bible app if you pull it up under the events there. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus speaking, he says, but you will receive you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. And last week I had us read this together and then I had us read this next version of scripture. 
It's the personalized version. And we're going to read this again because I think it's a great reminder if we can get that up right there. We're going to make it personal. So I'm going to invite you to read this with me out loud in a nice, powerful voice um, where it says your name. Say your name. Don't say your name. Just say, okay, never mind. All right. You ready? On count of three. One, two, three. But Barry will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon Barry. And Barry will be my witness in Glendora, in all Southern California, in North America, and to the end of the earth. Scripture is personal. It's for you. And this is a great exercise, as I mentioned before, to do as you're reading Scripture. Make it personal in the places where you'll you'll know when it's appropriate to do that. But when Jesus is giving a command, he's giving it to you. He's speaking it to you. But here's my question this morning. What is this power? Because it sounds good, doesn't it? If I had to say to you, you will receive power. Fred, you're going to get power. I'm going to give you power. You go right on. Right? More power. I want, I, I'm, I'm all about power. Give me more power. I'm a car guy. More power? I'm like, that's a good thing. But what is this power that God is talking about? And why do we need it? So as we jump in this morning, I, I want to start with this. Before we can fully unpack power, we have to understand something really critical. And it's this, that power and authority go hand in hand. Power and authority go hand in hand, and we see that all throughout Scripture. That power and authority work in tandem, they work with each other, and it's super important, it's very important that they do that for reasons that I'll tell you in just a second. See, we understand power and authority in our lives. And rather me put it this way, we know about it even if we don't fully understand it. You know the difference between power and authority, and you also know how they work together. Let me give you an example. How many times have you been driving on the freeway and someone comes flying by you doing 120 miles an hour or, or road raging or doing something not smart, and what do you think or what do you maybe even say out loud? Where's a cop when you need one? Right? Man, where's the policeman? Here's this guy driving like a fool. We need a policeman here to deal with this. What you've essentially said is that I neither have the power nor the authority to do something about that. We get power and authority. But you also know this, when you're driving down the road, maybe at night especially, it's especially significant or or, or heart-thumping when the lights light up in your mirror, right? And you recognize I'm under power. There's power and authority that's telling me move over to the side of the road. And you're wondering, what did I do? Or maybe you knew what you did, and that's a whole other story. We also know it from when we were kids. When you're a kid, maybe if you had siblings, or maybe you're the oldest sibling, or maybe you're the youngest sibling. But mom and dad, when you get to that age where you don't need a babysitter anymore and you can leave the kids on their own because there's one of the kids that's old enough to watch the others. And what do parents say is they walk out the door. Oh, Johnny's, Johnny's in charge. Johnny's in charge, right? And Johnny goes, yeah. And the rest of the kids are like, yeah, no, he's not. 
Why? Because they understand, even though mom and dad have given them the authority, they say he's in charge. What does Johnny really lack? He lacks the power to actually do something with that authority. Does that make sense? That's why when mom and dad come home and the house is a disaster and, and the kids are running around and Johnny's like, they won't listen to me, right? Or Johnny swings the other way and starts abusing his authority and tries to be the boss. And of course, that famous line, you're not the boss of me. We understand power and authority. In scripture, these two words are found in tandem in multiple places in scripture. The word authority in the Greek in the New Testament is the word exousia. Exousia. It's defined this way. It's the right, the authority to rule and control. It's that we've been given the right by Jesus Christ in his kingdom to rule and reign. It's the same authority, by the way, that Adam and Eve were given in the Garden of Eden. They were given authority and dominion over the earth and over the animals. When Jesus comes, he dies for us, he raises again, he he ascends to heaven, he gives us his spirit, and he says in his word, in fact, he says to his disciples, which we'll read in a minute, I'm giving you authority, my authority. It's not your authority. It's the authority that comes from my father's kingdom. And it's a huge authority. It's massive authority. I'm giving you the right to rule and control and have reign in this life. Exousia. The word power is the word dynamis. Dynamis. It's the, it's the word that we get dynamic or dynamite from. And both of those words convey a, a sense of movement or explosive power that's happening. It's defined this way. It's being mighty or mighty deeds. Ability. Supernatural power and rulership, that this is the power that God has given us. So he's given us the right to rule. He's given us the authority to move in supernatural power. He's given you the authority in your life, in your home, to take a stand for the kingdom of God and moving power in that place. We have to note, though, that power without authority is abusive. A power without authority can be abusive. Not always, but most often. Picture this. You ever had a water hose that was turned on and you had, let's say you had really good water pressure at your house, and then you let go of the hose? Or maybe you turn on the hose and and it's... And, you know, and it's open somewhere in the yard and you know it's open because the next thing you see is that hose just waving all over the place. Anyone ever had that happen? Power without authority. It is power that is out of control. And when we move in places in our lives in power without authority, things don't go well. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of power that was abusive and wasn't honoring to the Lord. On the other hand, authority without power is ineffective. 
authority without power is ineffective. We know this um, most from uh, public officials, presidents and governors and such, who when they're in their last term before the election and everyone knows they're on their way out, they still have the authority. But what's starting to wane now is the power because in four months, five months, you're not going to be in office anymore to enforce those things. And what do they call it? Your lame duck. You're a lame duck. There's nothing that you can really do. So we still recognize the authority, but there's no power. It's like the kid left in charge of his brothers or sisters saying, you're in charge, but there's no real power. And so the brothers and sisters just go, hey, we're going to do whatever we want. Right now, when mom and dad get home, guess what? There's consequences because mom and dad have the authority and the power. So are we tracking? Is this making sense? So these things go together. And so we need to set the stage as we have a power conversation regarding the Holy Spirit and you. See, because if we don't understand power and authority, we'll let things go one of two ways. We'll either let it get out of control or weird or damaging in our lives. Or we'll live in a place where I say, I have the authority, but then we don't move in the, in the power and then wonder why nothing is changing. Why do I feel stuck? I love Jesus. He loves me. I'm aware of the Holy Spirit. And God's going, I've given you the authority. Now move in the power. Move in the power. So our model in all of this always is Jesus. Jesus himself. And then I'll have some points after this that you can write down. In Luke chapter 4 verse 36, there's an encounter that takes place. Um, and the, the Pharisees are there, and people are around, and Jesus is teaching, and, and, and there's a circumstance um, where Jesus is performing miraculous deeds, and, and this is the response. It says, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and with power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. So they're aware of the unclean spirits, and there's probably been some attempts before to get rid of them. But now with Jesus, because he has the authority and the power to declare over those unclean spirits that they be gone, it actually happens. And so the people are amazed. What is this word? And they recognize, for with authority and power, he commands in the unclean, the, the unclean spirits, and they come out Jesus moved with authority and with power so much so that people recognized it and they saw it in his ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 21 through 22 says this and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not the scribes not as the scribes he walks into the synagogue. He walks into the church on Sabbath. He gets up. And in their culture, people took turns. They could get up and read. And he starts teaching. And the people are amazed. Who is this guy? He's teaching as one who has authority. Not as the scribes, the people who usually get up there and are teaching us. Because we know when they're getting up and teaching, there's no authority. They're just reading, but there's nothing behind it. And you pick up like there's a bit of a disdain or even a, 
a disrespect towards the scribes going, well, we don't listen to you because you've got no authority. But Jesus steps up, starts teaching, and they recognize he teaches as one who has authority. And they paid attention to what he said. And by the way, this made the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers a little upset. (laughs) They didn't like being called out. They didn't like the fact that they, they were exposed in the midst of this. Can I just tell you right now, when we move in power and authority of the kingdom that God has given us, not everyone will be happy. Not everyone's going to be pleased and go, oh, I'm so glad you're speaking the truth. Right? I mean, just talk to any kid who goes to public school. You better not get up and talk about the Bible. Why? Because we live in, the wor- in a world that is starting to deny and ignore the power and the authority that God has in people's lives. And it's an important, important point of prayer for our kids, by the way. Well, it wasn't just G- Jesus. It was Jesus and the disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we see this happen. And he called, uh, called to him his 12 disciples. And listen, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and affliction. He gave them authority over unclean spirits, which means before this point, they had no authority. They had no authority over unclean spirits. They knew that they existed. They knew they were there, and there was nothing that they could do about it. Because this was their dominion. This is the world and the realm within which they had authority. But Jesus' authority superseded that, which is why he came. And he gives them authority. He says, you have authority to cast cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. How many diseases? Every. How many afflictions? Every. You, not the disciples, You have the authority. You've been given the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 says this, Jesus speaking to the disciples, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Until you've received this power, you've been clothed with power. And that they do, they stay in the upper room until the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon them in the form of, a, of tongues of fire. And they are empowered to go out and preach and teach and cast out demons and heal the sick. So I want to make three points this morning. I want to draw three points from Scripture. Um, just as a, as a parenthetical thought here real quick, these are three points of many. This is not comprehensive. As I've already said, we can't fully understand God. And so these are three points I believe that God wants us to latch onto and hold onto today. But there's a lot more. And what I would encourage you is take out your Bible, get your Bible out during the week and be reading. Read the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts with a fresh perspective and and start seeing what God stirs in your heart as far as your belief and your expectation of what he wants to do. So these are just three points out of many. 
So the power of the Holy Spirit, number one is this. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin and temptation. The Holy, Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin and temptation. It's the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. That God actually cares about you. God the Holy Spirit cares about you and wants to be in relationship with you in such a way that you are empowered to overcome sin and and temptation. By show of hands this morning, anyone here struggle with sin or temptation? Okay, look around. Keep your hands up. Look around. You're in good company. Every one of us, right? God has given you his Holy Spirit to help you overcome that sin and temptation. And one of the biggest lies perpetuated on Christians, on believers is, I've got to figure this out on my own before God can move in my life. Am I right? I've got to, I've got to figure out my stuff. I've got to work out my sin. I've got to, I've got to become a little better before God will engage with me, let alone use my life. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the complete price for our salvation and for our redemption and for the reconciliation. And he opened the way, he paved the way for us to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not in part, but in full. The power of the Holy Spirit to very personally and intimately and daily help you walk with Jesus in such a way that you overcome sin and temptation daily. Every thought, every circumstance, every relationship, in every everything. Think about some aspect of your life. The Holy Spirit wants to be a part of that. Your work, yep, he wants to be a part of your work. Your relationship with your neighbor, yep, he wants to be involved in that. Your home, your finances, yes, he wants to work there. Everywhere. He's personal and he's intimate and he wants to empower us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. All right, that was the raising of the hands. Right? There's not one of you that's unique in regards to being tempted. That there's nothing that you face that someone else hasn't faced. There's nothing that you're walking through that someone else hasn't walked through. Now, the circumstances might be a little bit different. My wife and I were able uh, to go to a training yesterday uh, for... Uh, it's a ministry that deals with sexual addiction and, and love addiction. And they shared some s- statistics regarding our culture and where our culture is. Um, and, and it's astounding. And uh, believe me, we will have more conversations about this because of the church, we need to be prepared and ready to minister God's love, his power, and his freedom in this area to young and old, single, married. It just... Boys, it doesn't, it affects everybody. But as we were talking and as the the teaching was happening, you realize that isolation is one of the tactics of the enemy 
If I can make you feel isolated, if I can make you feel like you're the only one, you just feel the power just rain right out of you. I'm just defeated. God says you're not defeated and you're not alone. There is no temptation that has overtaken you that it, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, that we all deal with similar stuff. And there's an encouragement in that which means, well, if you've overcome, I can overcome. If you've seen breakthrough in your life, I can see breakthrough in my life, but not just because I tried harder than the next guy, because that doesn't work. Let's keep reading. What does God have to say about it? God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it god is faithful now we just got to say this this is one of the most misquoted passages of the scripture of all time Right along with, right, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a misquoted passage of scripture because people say, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what he's saying. God will always give you more than you, you can handle because he wants you to be stretched. He wants you to grow and he, he wants his power to be at work in you. What he's saying is you will not be tempted beyond, beyond what you can handle. And what he's saying, if you read between the lines a little bit, and you don't have to read too far between the lines because he's pretty obvious about it, I'm going to give you the power and the authority to live in such a way that when temptation comes, it won't overcome you. I will give you the ability. Your ability? No, not your ability. The ability of the Holy Spirit working in you. How many people have ever been in a place where they're going, if this is true, if God won't let me be tempted beyond what I can handle, why do I struggle? Am I right? If God says this, is he a liar or am I just broken? Am I the exception? If this is true, why do I struggle? Maybe even this question, does God even love me? God's saying, yes, I do. But as a Christ follower, as someone who's received the Holy Spirit, he's saying this, I've given you the authority and the power in my spirit to take a stand. Now take the stand. And by the way, if it gets too difficult, hit the road, Jack. The picture here is Joseph in the Old Testament in Potiphar's house. And Joseph was an upright, righteous man of God. He loved God. And there's this point where Potiphar's wife is approaching him and coming on to him. And Potiphar makes a decision. He says, listen, this temptation is beyond what I can handle. And so what does he do? Out the door, down the road. Leaves his clothes behind. I hit the road. And so... We have to be careful that we don't get into a place where we go, Lord, I know that's a point of temptation for me, but I'm just going to stand here and I'm just going to muscle through it. 
He will always give us a way out. He's either going to give us the strength and the authority and the power to know that we can overcome it. And when you're at that point, you'll know it. And when you're not, you'll know that as well. And so God says, I'll always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure, excuse me, endure it. That his power at work in you by the Holy Spirit gives you what you need to overcome temptation one way or another. And I tell you what, you can use that today. That this isn't theory, this is practical that you can walk out this door today, maybe before you even walk out these doors, that this can start being practiced in your life. Not your ability, but it's your ability as you're empowered with the authority and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, say nothing, nothing Nothing shall hurt you. I have given you authority to overcome the things of this world. Snakes and scorpions, does that mean, okay, well, in the area of snakes and scorpions, I'm good. No, the context is important. Remember, they walked on dirt roads everywhere they went with sandals, right? They didn't have like Vans or or Nike. They they didn't have Doc Martens. They had sandals, so their feet were exposed. So scorpions and snakes were an issue. Would you agree? You're walking down a dirt path. where Where do scorpions and snakes live? In the dirt. Now, of course, there's a tie in here, by the way, the, the snakes part back to the Garden of Eden, and there's always layers. But, but, but he's being very practical. What Jesus is saying is not, hey, I know that in Glendora, California, in the year 2016, snakes and scorpions are going to be one of your biggest challenges. They're just not. I don't remember the last time I saw a scorpion. We're maybe, you know, likely to see a snake around here. But they're not a challenge. So how is this encouraging? What Jesus is saying, even in the very little things of your life, like when you're walking down the road and there's a scorpion that wants to bite you, that the power and the authority of God says, I want to protect you from that. So think about the smallest minute detail of your life where you feel like, oh, I got to carry this weight on my own. You know, God will take care of the big things, but the little things belong to me. And God says, no, I've given you authority to overcome balancing your checkbook. Right? To overcome that, the bad attitude that that person had towards you the other day. Whatever it is in your life, the things that you would say, you know, I don't know why that bugs me, but it does. And it shouldn't because it's a little thing, but it just kind of bugs me. And God says, I've given you authority to overcome that thing. Do you see how practical this is and how personal it is? And if you'll move in the small things, he says, I will give you the power to overcome everything that the enemy will throw your way. Everything. And by everything, he means everything. All right. Second is this. The Holy Spirit will give you power to be a witness. So it starts with you, but then it moves through you. It starts with you, but then he wants to move 
through you. The power isn't just for you. Say this with me. It isn't just for me. One, two, three. It's not just for you. It's meant to be given away. It's meant to be evidenced in your life in such a way that other people benefit from the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jason and Rosie should benefit from the Holy Spirit relationship I have. The power relationship I have with the Holy Spirit. That sentence was a little awkward. (laughs) You should be a beneficiary of that. And look around the people in this room. You should all benefit from the power of the Holy Spirit moving in each other's lives. So this isn't just a witness to go tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. Your witness speaks about what you think of Jesus and how you're being conformed to his image. That's your witness. right? So when people say, oh, I have to go witnessing, you witness every day. You witness every day, whether you know it or not. It's better to be aware of the fact that you're a witness every day. I bear witness to who Jesus is in my life. And if I'm conformed to the image of Jesus, as Romans chapter 8 says, that means that every day that I get up out of my bed, before I get out of bed and I roll over and I say good morning to my wife, that I am bearing witness to Megan of who Jesus is and of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. For you to be a witness, to declare to the world that Jesus is Lord of my life, that I take his authority seriously, and I'm going to move in that power. Changes it a little, doesn't it? So witnessing isn't something I do. Witnessing is something I am. It's how I lived. You've received power to be his witness. To a world that desperately, 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 desperately needs him. You're his witnesses. Second Timothy chapter one, verse six through eight. Second Timothy one, six through eight. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy to encourage his son in the faith. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says a lot in just a, in a, in a couple of sentences. Fan into flame the gift of God. What did the gift of God, what did Jesus say the gift was? The Holy Spirit. And there's spiritual gifts that go along with it. But what Paul isn't saying here is just fan into flame the gift. What he's saying is you received a gift in the person of the Holy Spirit. And either you're going to fan that power, that flame into a raging fire, or you're going to let it die down and possibly die out. So remember, we laid hands on you just like we did last Sunday right here. We laid hands on people so, and prayed with them, and they asked to be 
filled with the Holy Spirit. A little side note real quick. That doesn't have to happen on a Sunday morning. That can happen any day of the week with any one of you. You've been given the authority to pray for people. But I'll give you this point of direction. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. So if someone, if you're in a conversation and you're talking about the impact of God's having in your life and that the Holy Spirit is empowering you and they go, I want that. And you go, well, let's just do this right now. Let's pray. If you want the Holy Spirit, right? Make sure that they know Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, make that introduction. And then pray with them. But it's important that they ask. So whenever I'm praying with someone to be filled, to receive the gift that that God has given, I will stand and lay hands in agreement. That's all I'm doing. My hand has got no special power. I'm agreeing with you, but they need to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Father God, give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. It's important that it happens. All right, back to where we were. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, you can walk in power, in love, and in self-control. And I don't know anyone, I've never met a single person who's, who loves Jesus, who would say, you know what, I'm good in the area of power, love, and self-control. I've got those things down. Right? That every one of us daily should go, Lord, I want more of your power. I definitely need more of your love. And I most definitely need more self-control. Right? Fan into flame the gift of God and he will give you power, love, and self-control. That's good news right there. Why? So that you don't have to be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus Christ. Who he was and how he lived. One of the things happening in the world around us, especially against our kids, is that Christian kids and Christian people everywhere are, are led to believe that their story about who Jesus is is not appropriate to share in the world. Keep that religion stuff to yourself. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, it's specific to Christianity. If you're really any other faith, you're good to go. Why? Because the enemy is afraid of Jesus. He's not afraid of Allah. He's not afraid of Buddha. He's not afraid of Krishna. Why? Because he made them. He came up with the idea. He's afraid of Jesus because he's the only true God. And so he wants to shut up his disciples. And, G- and Paul here says to Timothy, whoa, 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 whoa. Because you have power, love, and self-discipline, which means when you get into a situation when someone's pressing against your faith, you don't have to punch them in the face. And we're seeing that more and more, aren't we? God says you don't have to go there because I've given you power, love, and self-control so that you can stand and be a witness for Jesus, an accurate witness of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the fact that he's going to return. My life is a testimony. I am a witness of that. And we share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And I believe that those words are true, not just for then, but for now, that we will see an increase. That to stand for the gospel 
by the power of God will need the power of God because of increased suffering. And you're like, wow, I'm so encouraged today. But this is the reality. And your brothers and sisters around the world in the faith deal with this every single day. And they do it with joy. I've seen it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all, say it together, uh, authority. Let's say authority. I wasn't very clear. Sorry. Say all authority. One, two, three. In heaven and earth have been given to me, to Jesus, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority. And Jesus says, because I've been given the authority, I'm giving you my authority to go into all the world and preach all of the gospel to all people. You have been called. You have been commissioned. You have been set apart to do this very same thing. That this wasn't for then, it's for now. God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you can have power to be a witness. Acts 1.8, we read it already. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the way, they did. And you know how we know they did? Because you're here. Because you're sitting in this room. And if they didn't, we wouldn't. And if you don't, somebody won't. That's good. That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) If they didn't, we wouldn't. And if you don't, someone won't. There's a responsibility here. God says, it's not just try harder. I've given you my Holy Spirit to be a witness. Now go do it. God coined that before Nike did. Just do it. (laughs) Acts 4.33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. The power that the apostles received in that upper room, they went right out, immediately start preaching. Lives are changed. People are getting healed. Miracles are taking place, and the church starts growing radically, phenomenally, exponentially. And it says there was grace. Why grace? Because that power has to be tempered with grace. It has to be tempered. It has to be kept in balance. And then finally this. The Holy Spirit gives us power to wage spiritual warfare. To wage spiritual warfare. And I've already touched on this a little bit. God knew and God knows that we will all face opposition. Especially when we take a stand for him. Can I say that again? God knew that you would face opposition, especially when you take a stand for him. Can I just tell you, when you, I'm going to risk standing on a chair. When you stand up and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Holy Spirit, fill me. What you've essentially done is make yourself a target. Right here. Because the Holy Spirit, I mean, not the Holy Spirit, the enemy doesn't care about people who aren't serving Jesus. 
And can I tell you, he doesn't really even care about the Christians who aren't walking in power. Why? Because authority without power is ineffective. So if you're ineffective, if you're a lame duck Christian, guess what? Satan doesn't care about you. You might think it's the blessing of God on your life, by the way. I'm so blessed. I'm not under attack. No, Satan's just leaving you alone. Oh, that'll preach even more. See, because when you're walking in power, you make yourself a target. If there's no opposition in your life, you have to wonder, am I moving in power? Am I embracing the thing that God's called me to? Ephesians 6, Paul writes this, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. No, His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Does it sound like he wants us to stand firm? Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that readiness to go in a moment's notice. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you, you, it's not he, now you have the authority and the power that you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one And take the helmet of salvation and then listen to this. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplications for all the saints and also for me. That that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Whew, there's a lot. But if you weren't going to ever face opposition, you wouldn't need the armor. You wouldn't. And can I tell you, I've heard Ephesians 6 quoted and taught over and over and over and over again, and I really believe There's a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who don't get it. It sounds nice. This is meant to be practical. Does it mean you have a suit of armor in your closet? No. He maps out what these things are. One day we will spend more time on this. But I want to focus on this. The sword of the Spirit. What's the source of the power in our lives? The Holy Spirit. What's the source of power in our lives? The Holy Spirit. Okay, and what is the sword of the Spirit? God's Word. So if His Word, if His Word is our sword, and the power is His Word by the Holy Spirit, we better know this. We better live this. We better own this. Paul, uh, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's practical. 
It's relevant. And so many people are dying without it. And Bibles line our bookshelves but never get cracked open. And then God's word doesn't engage us. And if you're not receiving his word, then you're like one who has authority without the power. The Roman soldiers developed a plan of battle that really overcame, I mean, the fact that Rome occupied most of the known world in that time. It really came down to the might of their military force. And there were some key things that, that changed the battle for them. But one of those was the way that they used their swords. See, and if, you, if you like uh, mythology or if you, you're into uh, uh, you know, the knights and, and, and all of that, what's the, anyway, all of that, you always saw like they had the big sword, right? And then they'd have to like just slash that thing around. The Romans developed the short sword, the gallius, I believe it was called. And what they would do, they had a, a shield that had, you, you've seen it, it had like the big little, it had like a bump on the front of it. It was all kind of, it wasn't just decorative. What they would do, I, I'm, I'm going to call you right up here. Come on up, Jason. So what they would do, if I had an opponent, I have this, this shield with this, this big knob on it, and I'm going to bump you in the chest with that thing. And you ever get sucker punched in the chest or in the arm? It doesn't feel good, right? Kind of shocks you. Maybe not Jason because he's a tough guy. But, but these guys are trained, and they're fit, and so you're taking the this, this shield, and you're bashing people with it. And then that moment that they're a little dazed and a little confused, this short sword not in it, because then I have to step away, but it's up close. I bash you with a sword, and then the, I mean with a shield, and then the short sword comes jabbing up from underneath, and I stab you. And you just do that over and over until the enemy is subdued. Thank you. Um, and it changed everything for them. They were able to defeat enemies that were before couldn't be defeated because they changed this tactic. Now picture this. God says that we need to put on the armor of God. And Paul gives us the instruction. Remember that the most familiar military force they had was the Roman army. So when he says put on the armor of God, that's what he's talking about. Picture this. There's the shield of faith. The shield of faith that says, you know what? I can stand in the face of the enemy. Bam. But now I have the word of God. And as I'm pushing forward in faith, I'm speaking the word of God. And every time I declare the word of God, it is like a a stab against the enemy. And every time he's cut, his power is diminished the sword of the spirit, that when we are equipped with the word of God and we start facing situations and we face temptation and we face people in our lives that come against us, that we can take our stand in faith and declare the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, your words will be empty. They'll be powerless. So when when this, and by the way, a lot of this happens in the mind. So the enemy will say, you're worthless. God doesn't care about you. Oh, no. And out loud, by the way, best way to do this, out loud. 
God says this about me. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not below. And then Jeremiah reminds me, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And the book of Acts says that I've been given power and authority. And Jesus said that nothing will harm me. And as you start speaking every time, it is the sword of the Spirit taking the enemy apart. Practical to wage spiritual warfare. Romans 8, one, uh, chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Okay, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And and I want you to be excited, but I would rather you live that way. This, this should change everything for you. And every time I read it, I go, oh, okay, reset button. Let me get back to this place. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. You, you pick up here that maybe they didn't fully believe it. Because there's nothing that they're dealing with that we don't deal with. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand at the heavenly realm. God's power for you. And then finally, John 14, 12 through 13, Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may, uh, may be glorified in the Son. And of course, Jesus said to us, I have to go to the Father because when I go, then I'll be able to send the Holy Spirit. So not only does the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead live in you, Jesus himself said, listen, everything you've seen me do, let's pause for a second. What did Jesus do? Miracles. What, I mean, raise the dead, water into wine, heal the blind, lame people walking, right? Fed 5,000 people, and then 7,000 people, and there were leftovers. Walked on water, right? All of these things. We're not unfamiliar with what Jesus did. And Jesus said, you're going to do all of these things and even greater things. So what does that look like in your life? You have been given authority and power to wage spiritual warfare. So now we need to just do it. We need to live that way because the world needs it. Can we stand together? So let me ask you this morning, 
where are you in all of this? Where are you? Because it would, it would break my heart if you left here today and said, well, that was a good sermon. I look forward to next week. Then, then I missed the mark. I don't even care if you thought it was a good sermon, by the way. What I care about is that you take God's word and you apply it in your life. That the power of the Holy Spirit is available for you to overcome sin and temptation every single day and every single moment, everywhere you go, everything you face. That the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you to be a witness, to stand for Jesus, to be Jesus Christ to the world around you. And he's given you his Holy Spirit to wage spiritual warfare. So where are you at? We're going to enter back into worship. And as we worship, as we close in worship today, would you take time to search your own heart? Or even better, allow God to search your heart and maybe reveal places where you're not fully believing and trusting his power. And just take this time, a couple of songs we sing, to, to allow the Lord to recalibrate and reset your heart so you're ready to go back out that door in his power and his authority because he's given it to you. Let's pray.